When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time to play with pain. Hosted by Emmy-winning comedian and writer Jeff Cesario. Interviewing guests from comedy, entertainment, and sports. Plus, legendary sportscaster Chet Waterhouse. Don't worry, this shouldn't take longer than your average trip to Costco. And now, here's your host... Jeff Cesario. Oh, brother, this can be a good one. I uh, let me just uh, start right at the top with this. My neck uh, feels better, and I'm going to leave it there. Uh, if you want more, you can ask for more, Gary. But I, I believe usually in these situations, it should be left alone. But uh, Gary, go ahead if you want. But my neck feels better. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, and, uh, which is good. I should be at a hundred percent. I got the greatest guest in the world today. Uh, uh, hilarious, unique performer, the creator of mystery science theater 3000, Joel Hodgson. Joel, how are you today? Hey, Jeff. So cool to be here. We're men now. We are, (laughs) we are men now and we can easily survey our long history together. Thir- easy 30 years, right? Yeah, easy 30 years. Before yeah. we jump into that, though, because... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, this oh, one yeah. here is he's, he's chomping I'm at the bit. Laying, laying a little... I'm laying a little... Laying a little pipe. You're laying a little pipe, as they say in the uh, sitcom world. <laughs> That's right. right, right. Uh, Chet, are you excited to have Joel Hodgson? I'm so fired up, I can't believe it. Now, do you have a... Uh, do you have an update for us? Just fire the starter's pistol, buddy. Leave the rest to me. Time for the Waterhouse Update, sponsored by Thumbrella. Keep your hand high and dry with Thumbrella. America's pastime. No, not growing your own stupid pot. Baseball. Dodgers beat Atlanta after a sure Atlanta home run was held in the park by humidity. Freddie Freeman returned to Atlanta for the first time since signing with L.A. and cried so many times, Joel. He was nominated for a daytime Emmy. Braves have a guy named Dansby Swanson. I'm guessing his college frat recently disbanded due to a hazing scandal. Mariners and Angels got in a brawl so deep, Shohei Otani had to kill a man with a samurai sword. That wrap-up sponsored by Nutsacks, a perfect serving of nuts in a pocket-sized sack. That's Nutsacks. Colorado-Tampa Bay, least likely route for a bullet train, well, probably, but also they were battling for the NHL Stanley Cup final avalanche win when three players on Tampa Bay had to leave to go tie up the jet skis. That item sponsored by Par Mitzvah, the golf method that'll make a man out of you. Golf! PGA mad that the Live Tour's pilfering players... But hey, the PGA is the original YouTube. A lot of people making a million dollars every week 
You don't know any of them. I'll take one Chi-Chi Rodriguez to nine John Roms any day. And finally, this week in sports history, the year 1911. The place, the Chicago Golf Club. 19-year-old John McDermott became the first American-born and youngest U.S. Open champ, easily defeating Ireland's Grandpa O'Shea and Denmark's Pegleg Van Beckham. This Waterhouse Update sponsored by Jehovah's Witness Protection. Disappear into the warm grip of the Lord at Jehovah's Witness Protection. Back to you, Jeff and Joel. Thank you, Chet. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a great slate of sponsors and some wow. interesting items. <laughs> Disappear into the warm hand of the Lord. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty great. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, uh, this fella created Mystery Science Theory 3000. Phenomenon. And uh, he's the only performer I've ever seen who's able to take a leaf blower on stage and make it work. Joel Hodson. Joel and I go back. As Joel has already pointed out, yeah. easily beyond thirty, I think yeah, it's easy, easy 40. coming up on coming up on forty. Easy. Yeah, forty yeah. years now. Um, what drew you to to, to comedy? Because I know a little about you. I know you're raised in a in a more of a stricter religious thing. You went to a religious college. Yeah, and then and then good. you said, "I gotta. I, this is not working at all." <laughs> Um, well, listen, I want to, yeah, let me reiterate. I mean, I grew up in the church and it was, it was actually awesome for what I wanted to do because they always need stuff, you know, need you need to be entertained. And so I was busy uh, doing my magic and ventriloquism and just any chance I get father daughter banquets, uh, just a million gigs at church or through people at church. So it was really a good kind of starting point for me. And same when I went to Bethel in Minneapolis, lots of like I worked coffee houses and opened for Christian rock bands. And it was like, and that was my act. That's what I, that's where I was when we started. I, I kind of got it all figured out doing that stuff. Did they know that conceptually you were like way outside the box (laughs) and they just didn't really (laughs) grasp it? Because I I, I imagine you were you were clean as a whistle for these. Yeah, 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 exactly. And my it never changed. Yeah, my act never changed. And it worked. I mean, you know, it's that thing. If you can really make nice, normal people laugh, you can kind of do anything. Right. So yeah. it's kind of like if it worked there, you got that covered. But then when we met, we were in clubs and it was kind of like it still had to work. And so, you know, however we got to it. Right. It's kind of like everybody had a slightly different style, but you <laughs> yeah. were your your act was clean. Right. Like, when yeah, you, for the most part, I would like swear you. conversationally. So yeah. like when you got to the clubs, your act was a combination of magic and conceptual pieces and just really it was like 
an actual performance artist who was genuinely funny. It was like, it was like a combination of a bunch of stuff. So when you get to the clubs, you can't just go, well, I'll club this up. I'll just drop a few F bombs. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, no, it here's was, the fucking linking rings. It's not going to help. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So I was, I, I just kind of, I think, you know, I, it worked for me really well because uh, there are guys that would just go blue and, you lose some of the audience, you yeah. know, if you don't have, if you're starting at ground zero no one knows who you are, if you're dirty, you have to be really funny to make that work. There were a lot of dirty comics. It just was like, okay, yeah, yeah you, you know, it's not, you're not, you're not funny. And so I think it, it kind of served me really well because I could work anywhere and it just, I didn't have to do any thinking. I didn't have to alter anything. So it worked really good. And, I was content and happy with that. So I was still um, challenging, but it was more conceptual, right? It wasn't because I'm, I'm, I'm testing your sexual mores with my uh, astute, <laughs> with my astute observations on human coupling. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more like you, uh, it's more challenging because I was behaving right. uh, kind of like, I don't know, I was doing a demonstration, I guess. I guess, I guess that's what I felt like I was doing is um, I had a purpose, which was to show you what I was thinking and to show you these things I was making. So it was a demo um, more than it really was a comic, like a standup who's really talking with the audience and, kind of you know right delivering a monologue or delivering jokes i don't have that many jokes it was all kind of wrapped up in these bits so um, are you saying a a a a 28 year old uh uh drunk uh single guy uh comic might not have the 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 best insights into relationships <laughs> <laughs> and let me explain if you if you, ha- if you haven't had a chance to see um joel do his act if he performs anywhere ever doing that go see him uh but in the meantime you would uh and i bring up the leaf blower again only because it's super visual and it kind of is a great shoehorn into the way your brain worked uh you you would you would you would have a leaf blower on stage and it would sit there for a long time and people always thinking, I wonder when he's going to get to the leaf <laughs> which is what I love the most about the whole bit, <laughs> was just the patience. And then at some point, you'd, you'd, you'd fire it up, and that alone would get like, oh, it works, kind of a tremendous response. But then it turns out on the end of it, you had just a giant, like, 20-foot party favor. Like Party one of those, blow uh, yeah. yeah, a little blowout like you would use on New Year's Eve, you know, and it would go like six inches and fall apart. You had a huge one that was, I don't know what it was made out of, because it, it, yeah, it always it was, worked. It was probably eight feet long when it was extended. And, and it so. would shoot right into the audience. You would, it would go yeah. right out in the audience and often people would have to kind of move. And it was just so much fun. Well, thanks. I, I did a bunch of running gags with it and um, I had uh, uh, bagpipes that I hooked to it. So I do bag play these bagpipes and I did, a, you know, it's just of its time. I did a lead, I did a whole lot of love with 
the white chick <laughs> with the bagpipes, right? She's got a whole lot of love. Eh, got a whole lot of love. Eh. And then um, I did Amazing Grace, right? Because that was a standard with the bagpipes. <laughs> and then I had other stuff too. Like, oh, man. I had things that connect. Like I said, when, you know, it was a running gag when I was a boy. I used to do this. I pull out the party, blow out and blow it. Now I'm a man, pull out a giant one. Right. Girl crowd right. I used to blow a straw out and then i'd have an attachment that went on that blew a giant ass straw like like in a hundred a hundred <laughs> feet easily and the, the club was that big it would it would go back right. at the haha club it would go and smack into the back wall and it, it would fly so oh my god so i was just um you know in obviously inspired by uh people like um, Steve Martin, of course, and and Pee Wee Herman, and um, you know, uh, I, I think Andy Kaufman too. All those, all those people were kind of my favorites. The way they chose to do stuff, and when we yeah, started, there, there's it, nothing, there's nothing derivative. <laughs> about I was. I remember you and I that. did the we did the original um, Minneapolis comedy competition or whatever yeah. it was. And um, nobody wanted to go up first. So I said, I'll go up first. <laughs> and I just, I was just shot out of a cannon. I went, I it was went, tough. It was yeah. tough. I got third and I knew that I had a shot because I went third. Yeah. And, and, and I just pounded it and it was great. And, and you, you and I finished first and second and you won by like, like a half of, you know, it was some crazy and, thing. And Fiala was there, who was the heavyweight from Chicago, was really good. Yeah, yeah, that so was a great. Was Alex in that one. Alex too? was in it. Yeah, there was a ton of people. It was a great show. It was a. Really but I just big, remember feeling like night. it was a really big night because it was kind of like at the very beginning of what was happening in yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. It was, and I just remember thinking, watching you, and I'd seen you before, but I remember thinking. I have good first slot energy, <laughs> so why not just take it? And it wasn't a cl- it wasn't a crowd. I I actually remember consciously thinking this. <laughs> it wasn't a crowd that was like milling about and getting their coats off. And hey, I wonder what this show is going to be. Everybody was there because they knew it was a comedy competition. So I oh, thought I've, yeah. I I've cleared that hurdle. I got a crowd waiting to laugh. So I punched it up high and, and, and you were the only guy who, who, who could jump over it. And, and, and it was so much fun. And then, and I knew that stylistically almost everybody else in the competition, like Ed Fiala and, and Alex Colin, you know, was going to do monology. So I might as well throw mine out first. <laughs> you know? That's right. Well, and I mean, yours that- was your, but you were so unique. I just remember watching you going, this dude is, there's nobody like you. And, and, uh, and, and, and that will, will win out. I well, mean, it was just so the, great. It here's was the so other great. piece. Here's the other piece of that, I think. And that is the guys who win those comedy contests. It's always guys who actually do something. They do song parodies with a guitar they do comedy magic. They do juggling. And it's like, it's, and you're right, monologist, monologist, this other thing, monologist, monologist. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, right? 
So it was super lucky. That's great. It was super lucky, but I've I've since kind of thought about that. But you notice it's always the song parody guys. It's always the the whatever. Oh, he he not only told us he not only was funny, but he did something right. He had skill. He had skill. (laughs) So it's unfair. I knew I cheated, and uh, I'm here to say no because no, I'm just kidding. But I was very ready. I was very ready for that day, and and I knew that I had. I knew that I could do it. But there was some other disorienting things like Ed Fiala, who was really, really, yeah, really strong. excellent comedian. Yeah, very strong and charming as hell. And really, you know, that's what I was kind of worried about. That's what yeah. I was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Be- and Alex before- on any given night, Alex Cole could pull it out. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he was he was he was stunning when he had it when he had his head screwed on straight absolutely yeah, one of the best comics around yeah you could and good looking and he could do the whole thing he looked great he in did voices suit. he could do impressions he did yeah, he tremendous pretty- monology he could storytell he did everything a monologist should do every kind of variation of it he did it in spades when he was when he was on his game but the thing i loved about you was that's just the way you thought it wasn't it didn't seem studied it didn't seem like Oh, okay. I'm going to start magic, and now I see a, I see an alleyway for a more conceptual guy. Let me work that. No, it didn't seem like any of that. It just uh, seemed like here's how you thought. And I remember seeing your notebook once, and this will be a little bit of, again of an insight. I remember seeing your notebook once because all comics have a notebook, and it, I, it's you. I have this minuscule sort of assassin scrawl of jokes and now I do it on my phone, but it's always just joke and little, little bites of jokes and things. And I opened your notebook once. It was just pictures. It was like, it was pictures. And I went, that's it. That's it. And I went, that is, that is cool. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is, but it, that's when I went, oh, this dude is just organically this guy. And and so you would draw ideas? How would they come to you? Yeah, it was like that. So check this out. This is, uh, I, I number them. That's 195 right there. So I got 195 wow. of these now since I've been keeping them since college. And um, yeah, it's just how I so do it. It's just Bethel how- better, better start clearing out some room for the... The Joel Hodgson archives. I, you know, it's the weirdest thing. They haven't had me back. I think they, it's the strangest thing. Um, but I think they realized somehow, oh, this actually is tied to evil. Yeah. And they decided at that point. The only explanation. That's the only explanation. It wasn't that I took classes diligently, studied theater and art, got my major in communications, and still do a clean act and a TV show no. that you can watch with your family, but that doesn't move the needle at Bethel yet. I don't know what I need to do. Um, <laughs> anyway, the thing that I want to talk about too, and, and we got, I got to, you know, Louis Anderson died and we, I yeah. did a great article for in um, in the Tribune in Minneapolis, and I read it. And thanks. I just wanted to say that y- you really helped me because 
the way you framed Louis was so fair and so honest because it wasn't like the Louis I knew. And I hadn't, I haven't, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time I talked to the guy, it must've been 10 years ago. Easy. So I haven't been in touch with him. Um, Everybody I know said, you know, when he, he finally settled into his success and he was gracious and nice yeah, and I don't know that side of him because he was very competitive and very fiery. Yeah. And he saw me as I was the first guy in that group to get on Letterman. And I, you know, kind of kind of just eclipsed him by a few months because he was right. getting ready to do whatever tonight show or whatever. And um and he threatened me. He said, I can't let that happen. You're gonna be on Letterman before me. <laughs> I can't, he said to me, I can't let that happen. And what does that mean? What does that even mean? It just makes you think as I'm a 22 year old going, <laughs> Louis going to try to stop me from being me. a letterman. <laughs> um, but that, that was Louis. And, and I think the way you framed it was he was so driven and talented and we, we could get warmed by his fire we could get right. hurt by his fire. But yeah. the way you did it was so great because you described it as zeitgeist, right? Kind of like we were there. And Louis was this really, really talented, smart guy who was kind yeah. of the guy. And we all knew it. We all knew Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The, Minneapolis at that point in time just had an and energy to it that I think we have seen since in other cities and prior to that in other cities, uh, you know, Seattle with the music scene, uh, you know, at times Nashville, Austin and certain, but the whole city felt like it creatively, it was on fire. Music Prince was going crazy. Who's could do. There was so much soul asylum. I mean, there were so many interesting. Yeah. Things going on. Uh, yep. musically and then the theater scene was just bursting and the Guthrie was the best regional theater around it was all happening in the early 80s and comedy was blowing up as well so it was like a double moon it was a double zeitgeist it was comedy was blowing up nationally and we were in the city that was blowing up nationally and so to be a part of that was amazing and Louis was kind of the perfect guy to grab that energy and wrestle it into something tangible that could make people money and that could give people stage time. And, and I I just loved that side of Louis more than any other side of Louis. And what triggered me to write the story, folks, if you want to look it up, it's in this, uh, it's in this star tribune archive somewhere. Um, But, you know, after Louis passed and rightly so, you know, uh, many people said he was just the sweetest guy on the planet. And, you know, he was so nice and so loving and so able to understand very quickly what your issue might be, your problem might be and give you a shoulder to cry on. And, uh, and I thought, yes, but (laughs) I knew a different Louis, you know, Louis strength to me was the guy who went, all right, we got nothing. We have nothing. <laughs> it's scorched earth. We're making crap at that club. That guy's screwing us over. I'm too good for this crap. 
I'm finding us a gig. And he went out and found us a gig. And I learned so much about show business from that because he took me along, not because he thought I was the second best comic. He thought I was a good young comic who was going somewhere and who had a lot of drive, but because I was also going to go work the tech booth for nothing. And I was going to write the PR copy for nothing because this was a huge break for me. He yeah. took Joel Madison because he knew Joel was going to be able to cover some bases. He took Alex Cole because he knew Alex was going to give him the cred to go to the Star Trib and the big media outlets and say, we got the best four comics in town. And they'd go, well, well, maybe, you know, and they'd write the story. He was a genius at that. And so I tried to well, kind of, I, 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 I do want to stop you though, because I think you, you got to something in the article that I wasn't alert to. And I think it was really important. And that is simply Louis saw this, had this vision of going to Dudley Riggs and starting a showcase with comedians. Yeah. Du and and uh, Dudley Riggs folks was, was the second city of Minneapolis. Yeah. And still really going good, and, yeah, and, and produced, produced an yeah. incredible, great Frank, number. Franken and Davis and Gail Mathias and a ton of people. Yeah. Yeah. Really good people. And so what, what that was though, was fascinating because I think, I went over to Mickey Finn's once when I was in college and like watched the show. I took a date, you know, and we went and watched the show and I made it a, a decision. Like, I don't think I can make it work here. I don't think mm. I can do this. At that club? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then when I started to kind of dip my toe in it, it was all like, those guys are badass. They're like, they like haze each other. And there are like, there was Jabino there and Louie was there and um, Scott Hansen, Scott Hansen. And uh, who's Billy Bauer. <laughs> Bill Bauer. Bill Bauer. <laughs> oh God. And so they're there and, and it was intimidating. It was yeah. like this thing, like, like, like they're, I don't know. They were like the Bowery boys or something. It was like this kind of tough, it thing, was and I, almost I the comedy store before at the same time as the comedy store. Yeah, it's like it a was mini just, comedy store. It was dark like, but yeah, wildly or catch, talented. Or catch. Yeah. Like they heard stories that Belzer gives nobody bumps Belzer. So who's Belzer? And who are we gonna who are we in all this? We're all like right. it was like this feeling and and fortunately, and then um you guys did uh the comedy all-stars thing, but I think that then kind of solidified things as far as stand-up goes. And then um, Scott Novotny and Scott Hansen started Comedy Cabaret. Right. And that was softer, and I could enter there because it was vague. Like, it was it was improv, it was stand-up, right. kind of anything. That's a great... So, so I went in there. Summation of it, yeah. Yeah, I went in there because I just was not bold enough and not... I just didn't have the... Let's try to do that. But I think you recognized a different set of strengths inside yourself. Uh, that's the way I would put it. Yeah. Um, because what, what you just said is really, really a great um, um, summation. It's really, really right on the money is the club scene in Minneapolis when we started was there was one club, Mickey Finn's, uh, where you, you, they hung plywood between the pipe fitters and steam fitters bar 
where hardcore working men were yeah. drinking and this yeah. little 60 a seat comedy room and guys patterned it immediately after an actual New York or LA comedy club. There was going to be an MC. There was going to be an audience. We're going to hammer this. Who are you? I'm going to be the smart ass New York guy. Who are you? I'm going to be the softer observationalist guy. Who are you? I'm going to be the clean guy. I'm going to be the Cosby guy. I'm going to be everybody kind of fell into a slot like that. It was amazing. And, and you just went, I personally don't have those I remember feeling similar, and here's why I can relate to it. I had worked for Dennis Miller for a while uh, on on uh, just just doing stand up and and stuff like that. We had become fast friends in L.A. before anything happened to Dennis Miller. Then he got SNL. I kind of saw that SNL machinery through Dennis, and Dennis was like, "If you ever want to, you know, get a packet together and 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 try to get a job here, let me know." And I saw it twice. I went up and saw the whole thing twice for two days. And I went, I don't have the muscles for this. I don't think I would survive. And if I survived, I would be a really ugly version of myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I just went, okay, I don't, I I have to, you would call that in a way uh, recognizing your own brand nowadays, I suppose. Yeah, Going, yeah. This isn't what I do. So you did that and you went to a club in Minneapolis and helped start like this whole other scene. And then within, within three years, tops, Louis was in LA. I was in LA. You were in LA. Gerbino was in LA. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Goldman came out, Joel Madison. Came, I mean, it was crazy how many guys came out by 1984, 85. It was yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and I also remember too, like when you did, like there was, it must've been an ACE award. Was it an ACE award or Emmy thing? Like for yours, I remember being at an awards thing and you got an, you got something for a standup special. Uh That was, had to be an ACE award then. Yeah. Yeah. It was an ACE award, but you scolded Showtime. (laughs) Yeah. That worked well. Yeah, so I was up for an ACE award for MST, and you were up for an ACE award, and you got one, and and you and I thought it was so badass, but you scolded. You said some something like, and, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I maybe you remember, but it was something like, maybe this will build a fire under showtime and they'll get their asses in gear to promote the special or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It, it's the only time in my career I ever felt like it. And it felt like that. And there's a part of me that regrets that because I try not to be competitive, but I, I'll, I'll make it brief. I do remember that I was up for an ACE award for best writing. And uh, if you don't know the ACEs, preceded at there was a time when cable shows were not even eligible for emmy so they created their own awards called the ace awards so i was up for it for writing for writing my own special and i remember driving around and i try not to be competitive because i think it'll eat you up Mm -hmm. uh and and besides who am i you know is that guy really taking food off my plate now but I would drive around and I would see these billboards. Rich Jenny was up for an, for an ACE award as well. I think in the same category, I'm not sure. But all I remember is like, there, there was like 
five Rich Jenny Ace Award billboards. And wow. I just, yeah. before the Ace Awards, and I just thought, could a brother get a break? I mean, so then I win and I could not really stop myself. Yeah. And then when I want to thank Showtime for giving me the opportunity to do the special and maybe next time they can throw a little cash my way to support the special or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. And I, and I, and I, and again, you're figuring out what is appropriate, what does get results, what has meaning in that situation. So I can appreciate that. And in retrospect, what I would have done is been gracious on stage and had a manager or agent use that. Yeah. Right. To right. then go, next see, see the 500 K you wasted on whatever. Yes. Yeah, right. But yeah. I didn't um, know Monday, enough at the time. Monday, someone makes a phone call and <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you leverage it, but yeah. And, and, but I do think it's, it can be so frustrating and, and, and very bewildering that you're trying to sort it out and you're kind of going, okay, well, here's evidence. I'm holding this thing and here's evidence that what I do has value. Can I please say something? While I've got you here. Yeah. Because I never see any of you. And I'm getting in a helicopter and flying to another gig after this. No, I'm just kidding. But I know there was a Lori. Um, Lori Gilbert was uh, Lori Gilbert, Paul Fig's wife was was your manager then, right? right? At the time, yes, correct. Yeah, and I just saw them. By the way, I just saw Lori, Lori, and Paul at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. So I saw them at Steve Higgins' place. So Steve, oh, that's Higgins great out here, but I got to visit with them. But anyway, I remember her telling a story. You were so happening as a comic then that there was a, wasn't there something where you had to book a helicopter? Greatest, greatest. Yeah. I, this should not be about me. We're getting, we're everyone. We are diving into uh, mystery science theater, 3000. Yeah. But right I'll have something this. just as but, fantastic when we talk about me. <laughs> sure. We're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> no, the, uh, um, I had been, uh, uh, Asked to do a, an MTV Young Comedian special, and mm-hmm. so I booked that. And then somebody fell out of. Oh no! It's show. the HBO Young Comedian special. It's no, it cool. was actually the, It was actually an MTV. Oh, I got you. Okay, right and, on. And it was in at Pepperdine in Malibu. Sure. And then I get a call, and that's been booked for a month, two months now, and I'm going to do that. And it's going to be a big special on MTV. And then I get called by Jim McCauley, who was the gatekeeper at the Tonight Show for all stand-ups. I'd already done the Tonight Show several times, and he liked me and trusted me. Somebody had fallen out, and they really needed someone in fairly short stead to come on. It was like a Thursday, and I had to go do this other thing Friday. And I thought, geez, I... And I explained to McCauley, I've got this thing at 6.30 in Malibu. Do you think I can get out? in time to, to, to drive. I know it's going to be heavy traffic. Even if I'm late, if I get there, he said, he said, I, I got you covered. I went, okay, great. And he said, I'll, I'll figure it out. So I go do the tonight show, which you want to do in those situations. Back then it was really the small end of the funnel. You came out the tonight show, if you were yeah. a monologist or you didn't work, yeah. you didn't get sitcoms or anything. So I really wanted to do that. So I went and I did it and I killed and I'm like, 
And uh, Macaulay meets me right after I walk. It's the only time I like literally walked off and walked out of the building. And he's walking me out of the building. I'm going, oh, thanks. And he's like, it was great. It was fantastic. And uh, I walk out and I go, oh, uh, where's the limo or something? There's no limo. That over there. And we're like 50 feet from the NBC like traffic chopper. And it's just, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, what? And he goes, get in. They're flying you to Malibu. And I'm like, oh, my God. I already know this is the coolest day in in my life in show business i get into a chopper we make it in like eight minutes i'm early to malibu i'm getting Uh, makeup it was fantastic and the kicker on this is the star that came out of the mtv a young comedian special was the warm-up act who was Polly shore oh right Polly shore was crushing in warm-up with all these surfer dudes at at pepper oh probably yeah it was so amazing. I mean, we that, all had great sets, but it was so. But that was my uh, was that was my best punk, day in show business. He was the little punk kid who worked the door at the store when right, I was right. there. Yeah. Now, did you? So anyway, that so was. But I that was the that's how I that's how I choose to remember you, Jeff. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's, you'll always live in my memory as the man who finished the Tonight Show. Got now. Got that right. for Blue to Pepperdine to record an MTV special. <laughs>